When in your life can you say that you have been when in your life can you say that you've been fully immersed or committed? Maybe you had to study real hard if you wanted to advance to the next grade. Maybe you're trying to win the love of your life. Maybe if you wanted to get a promotion. Or maybe if you didn't want to get fired. There came a time in life in all of our lives where we had to say, I have to buckle down. I have to be fully committed to this if I want to achieve my goals. Maybe you wanted to advance to districts or to state. But there's a time in your life when all of us have been fully committed to achieve what we want to be. If we weren't fully immersed, we wouldn't have done that. When in your life can you say that you haven't been fully immersed or totally committed? I remember uh, in college I had a professor who said, listen, uh, this is an easy class. I'm not going to give you a test score. I'm not going to give you any grades in this class. Just sit back and relax. And as soon as my professor said this, well, guess what? <laughs> not getting a whole lot of effort from me. I knew I could just what? Breeze by. I didn't put a whole lot into it. When in your life have you said this is something that I'm just really not that committed to and I don't really think I need to put all my effort and energy into this? The times in our lives we know we better buckle down and we better uh, pull on the chin straps and get to it in times in our life where we said it's just not that important. United States Marines in, during the Korean War in the 1950s, um, a Marine came up with a saying. Can you read it with me? And as a statement for the United States Marine, and you think you understand it, that if you're going to be in the military service, um, all give some. It's a, it's a position of servanthood. However, yet it's also an acknowledgement that some who serve in the military give the ultimate sacrifice on the altar of freedom. They die. Hence, all gave some, but some gave what? They never returned from Korea or Vietnam or Europe or wherever they fought in their war. Talk about totally immersed. When I was in high school, Okay, me, okay, we're, my thing's playing little games with me, I'm sorry. When I was in high school, I went to Geauga Lake, and uh, a buddy of mine said, Kurt, you gotta ride the roller coaster. Now, I was in high school in the day, they were, they were moving from the wooden coasters to the steel coasters, so you're able to do all sorts of cool things with the steel coasters. And remember in Geauga Lake, they had these two rides called the corkscrew and the double loop. And someone said, you got to ride this with me. And I said, hey, I'm not sure about it, but ah, go, I'll go ahead and do it. And so you get on the ride. Remember, you ever been on a roller coaster? And they put down the shoulder things, and it locks in place. You have the shoulder thing above you. I said, I can do this. Until I got uh, the car got almost to the top of the hill, and I said, why did I do this? I want off. But guess what? And then what went through my mind is, is you go down the first hill, and then you turn, you go down another hill, and you have a double loop. How am I going to stay? Uh, how am I going to keep from falling off? All right? Then you hit the shoulder strap. But when you ride a roller coaster, you're fully immersed. That's not a picture of me, though, okay? All right? Uh, but you can see the young man there. Why did he get on it? Once you're on it, you're totally committed. It reminds me of, it reminds me of, of the pig and the chicken who walk by an all-you-can-eat breakfast and fundraiser, and they say to each other, let's go and contribute. For the chicken, it's a partial contribution, but for the pig, it's what? Yeah, <laughs> you understand that. Um, in the, uh, you heard about Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, I think, arguably... Um, the most decorated Olympic athlete of our day and age. And uh, I remember this one race, uh, the United States Relay, and it was in 2012. Now, trivia question, where were the two 2012 Olympic Games held? 
London, okay? Uh, the United States was in third place, and, and Michael Phelps was the last leg, and it looks like we're getting a bronze, and there about 20 meters left, and then Michael Phelps made this huge uh, splurge, and he came in second place. The announcer said, looks like the Americans are going to get the silver, but at the very end, he stretched out his hand, and he, like, touched the wall 200 of a second in front of the, I think, the Australians, and got a gold medal. You see, Michael Phelps uh, doesn't wear all those medals because he just wills to win. Uh, his training regimen is like insane. Um, how many minutes he spends each week underwater holding his breath. Uh, he slept in an oxygen tank. He watched every calorie and the type of calorie he ate. And his training regimen was just crazy. He also knew the right time, I know it sounds rather odd, to shave his, his legs and his arms and his head to glide through water. And he trained with special pants on for more resistance. He knows what it is to be totally immersed. In the heartwarming movie, uh, my favorite, going back in time to the 80s. There's a movie, The Karate Kid. You ever seen it? In the movie, Karate Kid, he's being beaten up by his buddies, uh, not by, beaten up by his foes, and, and he finally goes to Mr. Miyagi, will you teach me karate? And Mr. Miyagi says, only self-defense. And the time came for Mr. Miyagi to start to teach him karate, and so he gave him like a promise bandana that they wore. And Mr. Miyagi said this, Danielson, you karate no fine, you karate yes fine. You karate so-so squish just like grapes. In other words, Mr. Miyagi says you have to be what? Totally committed and totally immersed. And so Martin Luther says this. Can you read it with me? Friends in Christ, if you're in my faith, does that at certain points in, in our lives inconvenience us? If, if it means that we give nothing, if it means that you're in our faith, that we don't share what is true because we're afraid that somebody might not like us or we'll get put down, if, if, my, if our faith doesn't inconvenience us at all, if it really doesn't cost me anything in, in terms of time or effort or energy, that religion's worth what? Nothing. It, it's a nothing religion. It's a nothing burger. That's what Martin Luther is saying. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffering nothing, that person's not immersed, and that religion really means nothing to that person. There needs to be skin in the game. And so we come to wise King Solomon. Do you remember the gift that God said, Solomon, I'll give you any gift that you want? Remember the gift that God gave him? Say it. And God gave Solomon, some people argue the wisest man, and Solomon went from faith to atheism and back into faith. And so Solomon is ruling as king, and he has two mothers come to him. And they're arguing over whose son is who. Now, in American society, um, when two mothers are arguing, arguing over the same son, we have a talk show. And then there's DNA tests, and there's reveal, and there's a throwing of chairs and swearing. That's what we Americans watch, okay? But in Solomon's day, in Solomon's day, the two mothers went and said, this is my son. And Solomon said, I can't tell who's being honest or dishonest. Well, Solomon said this. Let me get my guard, and we'll hold out the boy. And no offense, it sounds rather grotesque. Let me cut the boy in half. You each give half the boy. And Solomon rooted out what he wanted to. Uh, the true mother of the son began crying and said, give the son to her. He found out who the mother was because she was totally committed, even to losing him. That's how much she loved her son. Totally committed. And so Jesus says this. Can you read it with me? Committed and immersed, the kingdom of God is at hand, is fulfilled, and now he calls 
us, he calls his disciples to repent and believe the good news, a total immersion. You see, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Hey, if, if Jesus wanted to, he should have probably called like a hundred Marines or a hundred Roman soldiers and said, listen, I'm going to force religion on people and I'm going to get my own way with spear and sword and arrow. And that's who Jesus could have called. He could have called a bunch of roughnecks. He could have called a bunch of tough guys. And he could have forced religion down people's throats and said, I'm going to get my own way. Or if Jesus really wanted to, he could call a hundred smooth-talking salesmen uh, who, who have charm and finesse and that they could, they could smooth-talk people into religion. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus called common people shepherds and fishermen and tax collectors and laborers like you and I. He doesn't call us because we're qualified, but he calls us in humility and faith, and then he, he calls us and he qualifies us to be his disciples, to be fully immersed. And then he says this, believe the good news. For you and I to believe the good news. We see a lot about belief and faith. I see bumper stickers that say faith. I see billboards that say believe, but have faith and believe in what? Well, we're called to believe the good news for us sinners that Jesus died and rose for us. And it's not a cliche. Being a pastor for many years, I have run into people who haven't been in church for a very long time, and I've run into people who, who seem to be very disconnected from the church's ministry and say, yeah, but pastor, I believe. What exactly do you believe? Or maybe I know I believe John 3.16 I've heard that before, but to believe the good news is to believe the promise that Jesus has for you. Well, let me go ahead and explain what that means to be totally immersed. Well, in Genesis 3, you know the account. Adam and Eve fall into sin, and they're tempted by who? The serpent. And so God looks at the serpent, and God says this to the serpent. And God looks at the serpent and says, I'm going to put enmity between you and her, Eve, and between your offspring and between Eve's offspring, and your offspring, which are going to be demons, are going to nip at her offspring's heel. That's Jesus. But Jesus is going to crush your head. And so to believe the good news, to understand that the mess that Adam and Eve got us in, and we all know the sinful mess because we have it in our lives, and we can't turn on the TV or read the... Uh, listen to the radio or read the newspaper I've seen it that very mess the good news is that Jesus Christ will crush the serpent's head and we will be forgiven and have eternal life and victory over the devil you see the son of man just didn't come to be a good example but he says I've come to defeat the, the evil one so to believe the good news is immersion in that account that you and I, Jesus, came that he might defeat the old evil foe. And then in Genesis 22, I'm sure you heard of this account. Do you remember Abraham, who was his wife? Sarah. And they wanted a son. And God promised Abraham, step outside the tent. Look at the stars. Your descendants will be as many as that. Look at the sand. Your descendants will be many as a grain of sands. And Abraham and Sarah didn't have a child. Then we have that whole mess with Hagar and Ishmael, which we are still dealing with today. And then God blessed Abraham and Sarah with their son. What's their son's name? Isaac. And so God looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, do you love me above all things? I want you to take your son, your one and only son, Isaac, 
And I want you to climb to Mount Moriah, and there I want you to take a bundle of wood, and I want you to sacrifice him. And some people say, that's why I don't buy into religion. I can't buy into Christianity. Which God would do such a thing? And God was testing Abraham. And what God's saying to Abraham is, you love your son dearly. Do you love your son more than me? And that speaks to us because many people idolize their children and grandchildren. They're the most important thing in my life. If my kid doesn't get their own way, there's going to be problems. And so God calls Abraham to faith and says, are you willing to sacrifice your son? And Abraham is faithful. He gets his servants. He gets his wood. And he takes Isaac to the top of the mountain, top of Mount Moriah, which oversees Mount Golgotha. And there he's ready to end his son's life. And God says, stop. I know now that you trust me. And there in a thicket was an animal to be sacrificed. Friends in Christ, that points us to Abraham the father, Isaac the son, God the father, and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did sacrifice his son for us and for our forgiveness. Believe the good news. Understand what unfolds over centuries and millennium for you and I. And then in Isaiah 53, the prophet speaks in past tense. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced in the past 10, 700 years before Jesus was born. And then it says these haunting words. Even though Jesus knew no sin, he was buried with the wicked. You've ever faced an injustice? Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Have you ever been persecuted because you did what is right? Then you can relate to Jesus. Even though he did no evil, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, and he was wounded and pierced for our transgressions. When we say believe the good news, you understand the whole history of what God promised. Repent and believe the good news, the fullness. Can you read this with me? So St. Paul calls the gospel a power. Um, when's the first time you heard this that it spoke to your heart? For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son so that I may have eternal life and that I may not perish, but I will have heaven. When's the first time you heard that, that you said that's talking to me? And if you heard that, then that's the power of the gospel. The gospel just is an information, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that calls me into faith, fully immersed Read this with me. Go ahead. We hear the gospel for us believers. We're called to the path of faith. And that path, that path is, a gospel is a path to the cross. It's a path of promise. The gospel that Jesus died for me. And the path of Jesus is one of loving God and each other. Complete this with me. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as what? Yourselves. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would what? Have them do unto you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not rude. Love keeps no records of the wrong. Love is not easily angered. And so you and I, totally immersed by the gospel, were called to love each other. Jesus says this, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And finally, it's a path of Jesus' faithfulness to where God put us, not on our comfort level or our circumstances. If you're like me, we spend a lot of time in our comfort level and our circumstances, and this stinks and this doesn't go well. But we're called to be faithful where God puts you. Where does God put you? 
Don't ever raise your hand, but if you're a student, you're a child, you're to learn from your teachers, you're to obey your teachers, you obey your father and mother and do what they say, that's where God puts you. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you're to love your child, care enough for them to discipline them when they are wrong. If you are an employee, you go to work and you do your best, not for a paycheck, but to produce the best product for your neighbor. If you employ people, be faithful and generous and be fair to all your workers. If you're a pastor, preach and teach the truth of God and its purity and serve God selflessly. Wherever God has put you in husband or wife, wherever God has put you, if you're in the military, you serve defending the nation and the Constitution. We follow the path of faithfulness where God put us in spite of our circumstance and comfort level. Totally immersed the gospel of Jesus who lived and died for us. So Jesus is immersed for us. He comes to us in his means of grace. How? Well, first, in baptism. I'm pretty sure all of you here have been baptized. Let me flip back. You all have been here have been baptized. Um, as I teach my confirmands, there's but one baptism. But what happens later in life if I join a different church and they want to baptize me again? You don't need to be baptized again. Ephesians 4.25, there is one Lord, one God, one baptism. You're baptized. And then the confirmant said, what happens if I wander away for many years and I don't come to church? Do I need to be rebaptized? No, God has not forgot his promise. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, clothed in Christ, washed anew. God keeps his promises in baptism, not based upon us. Did you listen to the hymn, Be with those who have gone astray? Be with those whose minds are darkened and cold, yet in baptism God keeps his promise just as he says. There doesn't need to be another baptism, it's his promise. And God comes to us, um, God comes to us in the Lord's Supper, his body and blood. Do you hear it? Take, eat, take, drink for the forgiveness of your what? Sins and given and shed for you. And then we come to today proclaiming his word in our church and school. Because you come to church here, you come to school here, you will hear the word. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard in the gospel. This is how God's immersed for us. He gives us the gifts in baptism and the Lord's Supper and his word that is preached. That we might repent and believe the good news immersed in what God has done for us in Christ. So this theme for our school year is connected to Jesus. Fully immersed, connected. Hear his word, trust his promises, and believe the good news in all its depth and its all its purity and truth and beauty. So how about this for a closing thought? Can you all read it with me? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And all God's people say, Amen.